Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals. everybody. Welcome back to another Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder. And we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, we're going to highlight someone who's been in ministry to Mormons for 30 some years. Um, Joel Grote, if you don't know, has been my co-host for nearly four years. And, That's right. Um, a lot of podcasts. Joel, uh, Joel's life has kind of moved on. God is kind of moving him on to a new ministry. And so Joel's going to tell us about that today. But I want to glean from his brain all the amazing things that he's learned over the last 30 years in dealing with ministry to Mormons. We encourage Christians to minister to Mormons, and we encourage people to step into this ministry full time. For such a time as this. And Joel will tell us a little more about that. Absolutely. So yeah, thanks. That's kind of fun. Flip the mic, let you ask the questions today. Um, <laughs> probably the first question is, so how in the world did you ever get started into apologetics or discernment ministry, especially related to Mormonism? <laughs> and believe me, when I was um, going to seminary considering ministry, it wasn't something that was even ever on the radar. Um, I envisioned myself going back to Latin America somewhere, having grown up in Venezuela, um, going back to either a Bible Institute or a seminary and probably teaching. And when I got done with my own seminary studies, uh, Master's in New Testament, um, there wasn't anything open. There was no place to go. And what had happened is I'd been invited to join what was then Gospel Truths Ministries back in the late 80s. It was just a small local ministry in West Michigan, Grand Rapids, started by a Christian businessman. Roger Hansen, who a lot of people have heard of. And um, I was in his fellowship group. So I'd known about his, his own little personal ministry to Mormons that he was doing, reaching out locally and heard about how that was growing. And when I came back to go to seminary, he said, the ministry's growing. My business is growing. How about if while you're going to school, I offer you a job that gives you flexible hours and a living wage, and you can come help me with the ministry. Um, so absolutely. It was like perfect. It was the perfect seminary job opportunity. Um, and so that's what I did. And when I got done with my three years of study, was expecting to move on. Um, by that time, we'd hired Luke Wilson, who was our executive director. And he was really the person behind both, excuse me, both the By His Own Hand Upon Papyrus book, and then our, our video DVD, The Lost Book of Abraham. Uh, those were both kind of his initiatives, and obviously worked closely with him on those projects. We can talk a little bit more of that later if you want, but um, I was not finding anything outside. And in the meantime, um, both Roger and Luke are saying, how are we going to replace you? You've kind of built your own area of you know, expertise and what you're doing here for the last three years. And I was thinking, well, I don't know that I really want to leave necessarily. I love what I'm doing. I'm doing teaching. I'm doing the research, um, interacting with LDS people and other people. We'd expanded by that time to Jehovah's Witnesses and the New Age movement and anything that would fall into what we now call that category of kind of performance-based religion. Yeah. 
So my, here, my one caveat was this. I felt like God wanted me to use my Spanish um, and my bicultural background and my comfortableness with the whole Hispanic culture and background. So I really wanted to do something that would let me do that. And so I said, hey, I'd be happy to stay on, but I'd really like to maybe dedicate at least 15, 20% of my time toward something Hispanic related, whether it's translating articles or reaching out. And they were very much in favor with that. In fact, Luke had been doing some study on LDS growth and was seeing their incredible growth, especially through the late 80s, early 90s in Latin America. And he mm -hmm. said, I would love to have you start dedicating some of your time to doing that. That's an area we need to develop. So there I stayed. So I was um, with IRR for about 34 years. Um, wow. And yeah, there's been a lot of changes within LDS culture, LDS community, LDS approaches, even to how they handled their own temple open houses um, around the world. So there's been a lot that's happened in those years. So what were what was your goal in ministry? What was IRR's goal with Mormons? IRR's goal with Mormons was to expose them to the truth of the gospel as contrasted with, with LDS teaching. Um, we were, I think, one of the earliest ministries that actually had a focus on reaching specifically out to LDS people. So we had a newsletter called Heart and Mind. It was print. At its peak, it was going out to, I want to say, between 75 and 80,000 homes. Whoa. And about 80% of those were LDS. So as people found out, we had this newsletter. So all of our articles were geared to an LDS audience. Um, they were non-confrontational. We wanted to expose them to grace. If there was something new that was happening within LDS culture or historically, we'd bring that up, but we'd always treat it, you know, so our, our motto was we want to be under-exaggerated and over-documented um, because we knew there was that level of suspicion with anything that was even close to anti-Mormon, so to speak. And so as people found out we had this resource, we would have people, people would send us their stake directories. So we would have people say, you know, I just like left about you know, six months ago, this has been so helpful to me. I would love it if you would just send it to everybody in my ward, everybody in my state. <laughs> and so we would put the names on, but we would always make it very clear that if you didn't want to receive this, we would take you off immediately. So if anybody called us after getting a newsletter or wrote us and said, take me off your list, no questions asked. We did that. The crazy thing is we would maybe get two or 3% on any given mailing like that. The majority of people um, just kept getting it. So our whole focus was how do we present Christianity and the differences in a way that's winsome, that's respectful, um, and gets the attention of LDS people and lets them know we care about who they are as people. Um, they're image bearers of God first, they're Mormons second, and all of us as, L as image bearers have more in common than what separates us. And that was kind of our invitational approach. And it wasn't always something that like, challenged or smacked up, you know, sometimes we just did like family issues and how do you handle conflict? How do you handle relationships? And how does the gospel inform how we handle relational things that are going on? So. But you can't step into this space without somewhat opposition and confrontational things that happen as a result of being bold about truth. Oh, no, we got plenty of opposition and <laughs> confrontation. Oh, yeah, we had people who would call us, people who were, you know, unhappy um, with what we were writing. And like I say, we always engaged, um, though we never forced, because we were very clear about the exclusivity of the gospel and the fact that 
what the LDS church was teaching as their pathway to restored relationship with God was not going to work. You can't mm. fix broken with broken. And if you're a broken person and you're trying to use a broken system, which we felt Mormonism was, Jehovah's Witnesses were, New Age movement, occultism, any of those other options outside of Jesus, um, we're, we were very clear about that. But we wanted to do it in a way that was winsome and respect and respectful um, and showed that we did it because we, we cared. So let's camp there for a minute because both of us have had experience trying to witness truth, right? Mm -hmm. Both to Christians and to Mormons. And I know in our ministry, sometimes the opposition comes from Christians who aren't comfortable with us um, kind of <laughs> making the division, right? about yeah. what the gospel is, what the gospel isn't, and then trying to determine who's in the body and who isn't in the body. Of course, it's very clear in the scriptures that that God is the only one who can see into a heart, and he's the only one that knows the condition of a particular soul. Right. But the Bible's very clear that certain teachings are not the gospel, and right. others are. So I bring this up because I was just interviewed this last week on Ali Beth Stuckey's podcast and she asked me some of the hardest questions about Mormonism <laughs> and we yes. went to some of those really hard places talking about polygamy talking about godhood talking about you know racial scriptures in the book of Mormon those those kind of things I hate to go there because I know it's very offensive to Mormons but one of the things I also know is Christians don't understand how seriously Mormonism is outside of biblical faith unless they hear some of those things. So give me some advice here, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you advice, Lynn. Right. Um, well, I think we both I think we both agree that whenever you are going to present truth, you have to present it from a motivation and a position of love. I'm doing this because I care about you. I'm not doing this to win an argument. I'm not doing this because I think you're stupid. I'm not doing this because I think I have some power to change who you are. I recognize only the Holy Spirit can change a heart and the Holy Spirit uses truth, but that truth has to be presented in a way that comes from that heart of caring and respect. And so, and we really, because there were so many things that were scandalous. There were so many things that were, you know, really kind of show Mormonism for being outside the pale of Christianity or some stuff that was just, just craziness. When you can, I mean, if you start mining through what certain LDS leaders have said and taught, we didn't want that to be the focus because we wanted to major on the majors. And so we always stayed around the theme of, okay, what is it that defines a religion? What defines a religion is what do they believe about God? Mm -hmm. After that, what do they believe about Jesus? Where do they get, what's their source of authority for coming up with what they believe? And then what do they believe about salvation? In other words, what do they believe is man's main problem? And how does that problem get solved in terms of restoration? Right. I was going to say that was the one thing I would add too for LDS is what they think about man. Yes. Because mm -hmm. Mormons believing that men are born good, right, and that they can't sin until the age of accountability, which is age, that's a very different point of view than you're born, um, you know, 
with original, the whole original sin thing caused man to fall. We're wretched sinners. We need a savior. And that's the whole point of why we need a savior, right? Right. So when I was LDS, I didn't think I needed a savior all that much, right? You know, yes. they're basically good. And that's a very different way to look at the world. Right. And what's interesting is when you, when I would have personal conversations with LDS people, most of their experience reflected the fact that, well, their children weren't just naturally good. I mean, I know, you know, we had eight kids and by the time they were three or four, that disposition to go their own way, um, to want to do their own thing, to disregard authority, that was already very clear. And yeah, it wasn't hugely serious, but that whole bent was already there. That didn't just like show up magically at eight years old and need to be dealt with. It was something that was there. Yeah. It was something that was there. It was something that was there from the beginning. And when I talked to other LDS parents, they acknowledged that too. And usually what the, what the out was, well, yeah, they're capable of that stuff, but they're not accountable for their actions until that age of accountability. And then that needs to be dealt with. So, yeah, so there were those certain things um, that just didn't, and that's always where we wanted to take people. We always took people back to the Bible because that was the, that was the, you know, one of our first starting points was the Bible is the authoritative word of God. It was here first. It is the standard for truth. So you understand it in its historical context. You understand it in its literary context. You don't just grab verses here and there. The Bible is literature. It has a background, so you need to understand it properly. But once you understand it properly, that now becomes the standard. No matter how I feel about it, uh, no matter if I like the implications of that for my life, um, that becomes a standard outside me. And that for me was one of the biggest, I guess, wake up calls about the difference in Mormonism. It was the first time as I started interacting with LDS people was how much their standard for truth and reality was how they felt about it. So if they heard something and that resonated with them, it made them feel good inside, gave them positive vibes, then to them, well, that became accepted as truth. And if they heard something that was disquieting or made them uneasy, well, that was of the devil, that was to be rejected. And it was like, that is such a dangerous paradigm for truth because our feelings in our context change. And so often yeah, so explain <laughs> to the LDS who listen how that's different for Christians. Okay. Um, I'll just use a, a real quick example. So like, for example, um, when my wife and I are having a disagreement, I can feel like I'm right. And she can start bringing up certain things about either my behavior or choices or things I've said that as she's bringing them up, I start to feel uneasy. It makes me feel uncomfortable. They're not fun, warm, fuzzy feeling things to hear. But my grid for whether I accept or reject what she's saying to me isn't how I feel in the moments about how grounded is this in reality. And if I don't own the truth of that, our relationship is going to suffer. And so now the Bible comes along and says, because the Bible is the word of God, it has authority to speak into these issues. And so now when I read something like, for example, um, the nature of man and where, you know, Paul says, all have sinned, 
all fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who does good. There's no one who seeks after God. God has to seek after you. That doesn't make me feel good about me. That says at heart, I'm a rebel and I actually need God to pursue me. And so what am I going to do? Am I going to say, well, I don't like how that makes me feel. So I'm not going to accept it as true. Or am I going to say, no, this is an authority outside of me. If I want to be grounded in reality and if I want truth to impact my life for the better, I need to accept that and I need to adjust my thinking and my acceptance of reality and build on that. So that it just becomes a totally different paradigm for what you accept as truth, how you learn what truth is, and then how you live your life based on truth. So even some Christians today kind of want to have a smorgasbord faith. You know, this is my truth. This fits for me. I reject that part of Jesus. You know, God's all love or whatever it is they want to make him into. And I always say to someone, so you're your own God, right? So you know better than the God of the universe who created you and all the universes. And every day that you live and breathe, he knew, right? And he ordained before you were born. But you know better than him what right is and what wrong is. And you can, you're okay to choose that. Then you don't, you don't really want Christianity. Because in Christianity, you have one standard, and it doesn't matter how you feel about that standard, but there's a God that's so much smarter than we are and knows so much better. Right. And is loving. Or in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. He's loving and he's good. So God can never do anything other than good for me. And God can never want anything other than good, what's best Mm. for me. Yeah. And And I think that's part of the thing why, even within the Christian church, you will find some of that tendency because we've gotten away from Christianity as being discipleship following a person. So it's following the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the one who's enough. Jesus is really the one who's calling the shots. And Christianity is about actually taking my right or my desire to have the right to rule over my life and saying, no, I am submitting my right to rule over my life and I'm giving it to somebody else. I'm giving it to Jesus. And from here on out, he's master. I mean, in in the Eastern context, what we don't get in our Western society is within an Eastern context, um, your rabbi, you know, or your guru, your teacher, if you submitted yourself to be a disciple of somebody, they called the shots for your life. If you agreed to follow them, you were in essence saying, okay, I trust you to put me on the path toward truth and rightness. I trust you to know what's best for me. And I'm going to follow that because I trust your authority. I trust your spiritual wisdom. And Jesus comes along and basically follows that same Eastern model um, of of a teacher or a guru, not that Jesus is a guru, but the idea that you have somebody who you call master, who you call Lord. And once you call him Lord, Now he calls the shots and your life becomes one of submission and obedience of learning. And if he's a good master, you benefit from that and you grow to be more like him. And we've moved away from that model to where it's at times, I think, way too corporate, way too Western culture. And we moved away from, no, Jesus has called me to follow him. He's given me the spirit. The spirit blows where it will. And the spirit may blow me one way in terms of Mm -hmm. my discipleship of Jesus, and he may blow you in a different direction. 
But at the end of the day, there's going to be a consistently common held belief system about God, about man, about those things we talked about. And Christians will share those regardless of those denominational secondary differences. And Mormonism simply doesn't accept those. That's right. And Mormonism changes frequently, right? And they're proud of that. And yeah, we have a God who's saying yesterday, today, and tomorrow because he knows how to figure it out from the beginning. He created it all. Right. Yes. So, so Joel, give me your heart for Mormon people. Tell me, tell me what you've learned about them. And, and is there any way that you felt that you could reach them in particular that would help other Christians? Yeah. I mean, my heart for Mormon people are first and foremost, they're fellow image bearers and they, as a, as people, because we're all created in the image of God, we are all ultimately after the same thing. We're designed for relationships. We want relationships to work. We want relationships that are marked by integrity, by honesty, by truth, by love, by intimacy, and by trust. And so I see that within the LDS community. The LDS community is very relationship driven. Family mm -hmm. has always been an important part of it. And to the point where they've like carried that all the way into like the eternities and made those relationships primary um, in terms of even their whole design of their plan of salvation. And so that desire, and the other thing is we're all on a quest um, to feel both secure in those relationships and to feel like we are significant. So we have something to offer back. So we have value and we also have value because we can contribute back. And so that security and significance, the question is, where do you get that from? And what, and so I see LDS people, everybody drawn by those, by that drive for that security, that significance, wanting relationships that work. But where it's heartbreaking is, the very LDS system, while it promises those things, can't deliver because at, at the end of the day, we're all broken and fallen, which is why our relationships don't work, which is why we have to work so hard at them, which is why nothing comes easily um, to us, and which is why so many relationships fall apart because whenever you put broken together, all you get is more brokenness. And if you ever try to fix broken with broken, you just get more brokenness. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he offers not a religious system. He offers himself as the answer to all of our relational problems, to trust, to intimacy. And he says things over and over like, I am the bread of life. You need to feed on me. You need to take me in as your core relationship. Um, I am living water. I am the way. So I am your path to fulfillment, relationship with God. And within the LDS system, you get Jesus. I mean, he's part of it. It's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But at the end of the day, it's not just Jesus. You need the LDS system and all the things that they've developed over the years and centuries. Their whole system of works and temple ordinances, that's what you need for your security and significance. And so by the time you're all into mormonism your security and significance is not just in the person of jesus it's in 
what you can pull off as a good member of the LDS Church. And this isn't unique to them. Within the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's the same thing. Your security significance is found in your role as a cog within the organization, how well you're performing. Yeah, Scientology. Yeah. Right. And so, mm -hmm. so, so that's so that's where my heart comes from. I see people wanting the same thing, desiring it, putting in all sorts of effort to have it, valuing the same things that I value as a person. Um, and yet being part of a religious system that is directing them in a way that causes that to self-sabotage because, and you and I, but we've talked about this in a lot of podcasts. If there's something that's really hard to find within the LDS community, it's this idea of transparency, authenticity, trust. I can be myself even on my worst day because the LDS system is so performance oriented if you're not performing up to par, the problem isn't the system you're working under, the problem is you. Mm -hmm. And and I don't dare show you my brokenness and my true fallenness. I don't, sh I don't dare show you um, my doubts or the ways I betray my spouse or I hurt my kids or I'm not faithful at work. Because if I show that to you, that means that I am not following the system well, and you can't accept me as a non-good system follower. So I have to keep up appearances. If you ask me how things are going, it's going great. Family's going great. Job's going great. Religion's going great. Even if I'm falling apart on the inside. Yeah. Um, and often we are, right? Often <laughs> yes, we are. Oh man, so often. Well, Joel, this has been wonderful. We need to uh, have a part two. And in part two, I'm, I want to hear somewhat of what you've learned over your 35 years of ministry. But um, let's talk about that. And then I, I personally just want to hear where you're going from here. Absolutely. That's great. Thanks, it's Lynn. It's been a wonderful time, Joel. Well, good. Thank you. We'll, we'll do that next time. So. Grace and peace to you, my friend. Until next time. So long. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals. <laughs>